Hi, I'm Lee. And I'm Lauren. And you're listening to Saturation Italicized on Weagle 91.1 FM. Tune in live at 9 p.m. on Tuesdays for your weekly dose of art and design. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Saturation Italicize. I'm your host, Lee. And I'm Lauren. And I think we should just get right into it today. I think we have a lot to talk about. Um, I did want to say sorry for uh, not being around last week. Uh, I had some stuff going on, but, you know, it's a new Tuesday. It's a new week, and we have more new fun design topics to talk about today. So, uh, Lauren, why don't you get us just started off right off the bat? Okay, so I got this um, idea to talk about during this podcast by one of our classmates named Maddie. So Maddie, if you're listening, thank you for putting this seed into my brain. And she was talking about this in class. It's about Grenada's underwater sculptures. So it's actually this underwater sculpture park in this bay. And it's designed by a two th- designed in 2007 by this British sculpture. I'm going to butcher his name, but I'm going to try. Jason DeCaris Taylor. And he makes these full-size, like, life-size, whimsical sculptures of people and then drops them at the bottom of the ocean. And this is listed in the top 25 wonders of the world by National Geographic, which I think is pretty cool. Um, But he, the artist Taylor, intended for the sculpture to contribute to environmental sustainability of the bay by offering a habitat for the marine life. So once the sculpture gets dropped in the ocean, it now becomes a habitat for coral algae and sponges and the sculpture is originally gray but over time barnacles grow on it and so it becomes pink and yellow and green um and it's just very cool and it has an emotionally it has an emotional impact on people um and the way you can reach it is through a boat guided tour or by scuba diving or by snorkeling or you can go on a boat tour that has a glass bottom Oh, that's fun. Right? But I would want to, if I went, I would want to, like, scoop it Yeah, dive in. Yeah, I would want to go down and see. But I thought we could discuss how art intermingles with activism. Yeah, see, this reminds me of uh, when we talked about uh, Just Stop Oil, that campaign, Mm -hmm. and we talked about how art traditionally has gone hand-in-hand with activism and how I think it should continue to go hand-in-hand with activism. Mm -hmm. Um, And when you were talking about this, when I first heard about this topic, um, I thought really, like, heavily on, like, I always really appreciate, like, you know, all art, I guess, is commentary on something to some extent, but Mm -hmm. especially art that is very, like, directly and boldly commentating on very hot-button topics such as climate change. because there's a, a fine line to walk specifically with the climate change uh, discussion when you're making art. Because, like, art can be wasteful. People can create art that, like, if someone makes a, a sculpture out of plastic, you know, at the end of the day, like, yes, it's beautiful. Yes, it's a piece of art. Yes, it should be valued. But it's still, like, plastic that's going to be on the planet right. for the, uh, literally for, like, eons. So I, I think uh, his idea of being like, okay, well, I'm going to create, like, a form of sustainable art that helps, like, coral growth is uh, just a really cool, like, creation to accompany his sculptures, I think. And it uh, creates, like, some real depth on top of just, like, as opposed to just making something that's like, hey, stop littering. Right, I agree. I like that what he made is being used directly 
as like mm-hmm. a habitat. Yeah. But it could have coexisted outside of the ocean just fine. But it's more beautiful in the yeah, ocean it too. Does. And it has a completely different purpose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It it I think it shows like uh, kind of like what we were talking about last week, how like art is going to continue to take on new forms mm-hmm. as time goes on. Like, yeah. you know, I don't know about many or any underwater sculptures I don't aside either. from this. That's why when she, when Maddie first talked about it, my mind was blown because I had never even thought to do this. Mm-hmm. Like, I would never think to put your art in the ocean. But it makes sense. Do you know how he got permission to drop this? I don't. Let me see what I can find out. Because I... He's not a. It's in it's in Granada. I, I he's he British, now, yeah. So how is Granada owned by the UK? I don't. This is getting into territory. I know yeah, nothing about. I don't about. either. This is getting out of the art and design part. <laughs> um, I just know that he's made other stuff in other places now, mm-hmm. but that was the first one. It could be like a Banksy type thing. Not saying he's doing it without permission, but saying like maybe he's like big enough like well enough known now that like he's kind of one of those artists that can just do what they want more or less i also feel like he's benefiting the area locally because he's bringing in like tourists that want to pay money to experience this so Mm -hmm. it's beneficial in a lot of different ways yeah and i wonder uh i wonder how much it uh, one i wonder how much his sculptures weigh and the transportation yes Yes. but i I wonder wonder that too how much it like costs to do all this and I know I keep saying like this goes back to a thing like we talked about another week but like so much art like builds on itself learning about mm-hmm. art builds on itself for sure but for sure it's like another thing like you know you got to wonder like how does he get the funds to do these things like to drop his sculptures into the ocean like that's transportation cost right there especially like his sculptures like are big they look heavy right like did a crane just did, drop yeah like how did, how did like, that happen where did the money come from and you know, who's to say that, like, there's not a, like, super talented, underfunded artist somewhere out there that, like, you know, could have done this, like, same thing or something similar to it, but, you know, didn't have the funds for it. Right. I, I, I don't have a point to saying all of this as much as it's just, like, a little think box. Like, you just, you know, you got to wonder. Like, it makes you wonder. What kind of art would be out there if, like, art was completely accessible to everyone? True. He, um, this guy has work in Mexico, the Bahamas, Spain, UK, Indonesia, Norway, Maldives, <laughs> Australia, oh my gosh. and France. It just kept going. It just keeps going. Just keeps go- yeah, he's. I guess he's probably at that like part where he's just he can do what he wants now. And at the bottom, he's listed as like a TED Talk speaker. He's listed, yeah, the top t- twenty-five wonders of the world. He's been listed oh, wow. by Time, Forbes, all these. This is the, he has the Guinness World Record for the most underwater sculptures <laughs> in the world. He's, he also has the Guinness World Record of only underwater yeah, sculptures. Yeah, no, I don't know how many competitors <laughs> he's going up against. Or at least purposefully placed underwater yeah. sculptures. That's super cool, though. Yeah. Uh, like, great idea, wonderful execution, like, very beautiful. Um, fun to learn about, like, just the, like, wide variety of art that can exist. I agree. This... I definitely agree. Just there's art everywhere with anything. And I think that this is a prime example of that. Mm-hmm. Of like literally like said it before, say it again. Art will find a way. Like art, art will, will always find, find a way. way. If uh if the world implodes <laughs> if the world implodes at some point, like there's gonna be some artist like curled up in a curled up in a cave that's like, Oh, I should make a like cave paintings with this uh, radiation fallout nuclear fallout or whatever like yeah exactly it will persevere out. through we'll time persevere persevere like truly one of the most like 
pivotal human experiences. This this one topic is so funny because we've like we're like going on so many directions of it. Like, oh, like artists will always prevail. They'll make everything. And like, let's talk about activism and let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about uh, what's that other thing I brought up? Oh, accessibility of. Um, and he, that's like the beautiful thing about stuff like this is that, you know, I, I'm sure he like didn't or, you know, who's to say, I, I don't know. But, you know, you wonder like, you know, did he make this with the purpose of like, are people going to talk about, you know, money or accessibility or something? But like it like good art is art that opens a conversation for something that even the artist didn't think about, I think. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's a prime example. of it. That's a good good way of saying it and I wrote down in my notes all art is commentary exclamation point after you said it because that is really all art is commentary yeah it's communication and it's commentary on something maybe that's what makes art art is that it has commentary do we have a new definition for art someone contact Duchamp right now from the (laughs) dead like we need to talk to him someone contact the us that did this a couple weeks ago (laughs) and say we have a new definition no this is cool though I think uh being able to call back old episodes and and I feel like just the more we do this, like we can see our own like progress. And like, I feel like I've learned so much just from doing Mm -hmm. this podcast and like, you know, doing research and stuff. And then, you know, when you talk about something, you realize stuff you didn't think about when you were writing the research and it's cool. It's cool that it keeps evolving and it's crazy. I bet we're going to look back a couple, like a month or two from now and be like, Oh, we know so much more now. Like (laughs) things have gotten so much bigger and bolder and better. And thing, uh, big things are going to happen on the pod pretty soon. Uh, yeah, I everyone gave stay tuned. Everyone stay tuned. Some big, big things are happening. A lot I feel of like exciting a YouTuber. Guests. <laughs> yeah, like no, a YouTuber. Th- just stay tuned. Big yeah. things are happening. <laughs> no, that is such a YouTuber thing to say. But uh, I think we have about four minutes before we get an ad break. So we'll start. Uh, we can do well. Did you have anything else you want nah. to comment on the, we, on the sculptures? We, we've exhausted yeah we said everything <laughs> we could about the underwater sculptures but i do uh listener like encourage you to go look them up they're literally they are wonders of the world and, yeah for you know, sure i definitely want to go yeah that seems like a very you trip like something you would like really really yeah, enjoy I really enjoy that it'd be kind of <laughs> scary scuba diving but i yeah. i would do it to see the art yeah and uh what is there is is atlantis a real place that's like underwater is that a real place you can go look at this stuff no, okay. Allison's motioning. No, that's not a real place. We're gonna pretend that I didn't say that, and I knew that because <laughs> oh, I knew that. <laughs> um, okay, we have like about three minutes. We'll go ahead and jump into the next topic, and then uh, get more into it after the ad break. But <laughs> uh, I did want to talk about a poet that's very near and dear to my heart. Last week, uh, Lauren and I decided we wanted to talk about a lot of smaller artists. Um, we've kind of exhausted some of the really famous big ones. It's time to like shine out. Uh, highlight on uh artists we really admire that are kind of more uh contemporary so i want to talk about ashley jones um quick little background she is the poet laureate of alabama and for those who don't know what a poet laureate is it's essentially or it is it is the highest honor you can get as a poet in america there are um there's one poet laureate per state so like alabama has one mississippi has one um and then a national poet laureate is chosen chosen from that pool of people. But it's essentially the same concept of like a state bird. So like uh, you have state bird, state flower. You have the state poet, which would be the poet laureate. Um, quite literally the highest achievement you can get. Um, like your name's going to be in history books kind of big. Uh, 
very, very huge accomplishment. And um, Ashley Jones is the current Poet Laureate of Alabama, which uh, the terms last for four years. She will be Poet Laureate until 2026. Um, She's received an MFA in poetry from Florida International University, uh, where she was a John S. and James L. Knight Foundation Fellow. She has won numerous awards for her work, including, but not limited to, literally she had so many awards, like I had to narrow it down so heavily, but um, she is a 2015 Rana Jaffe Foundation Writers Award uh, Award winner and a 2015 B Metro Magazine Fusion Award winner, as well as a silver medalist in the poetry uh, competition of the 2017 Independent Publisher Book Awards, the 2018 Lena Miles Weaver Todd Prize for Poetry from Pleiades Press, 2020 Alabama Author Award from the Alabama Library Association. She is also the founding director of Magic City Poetry Festival, which is a poetry festival that takes place in Birmingham. Um, And she is currently a writing professor at UAB, as well as creative writing professor at the Alabama School of Fine Arts. She also received a Poet Laureate Fellowship uh, from the Academy of American Poets. And I just say all that to, uh, because like I said, she has numerous more awards, but I thought it was important to talk about some like more specific ones and highlight how many she has just because like I cannot overstate how accomplished this woman is um I was incredibly lucky to learn directly under her during my senior year at ASFA um the fine arts school I mentioned earlier she was my advisor for my uh, senior thesis which was needed in order to graduate the school her expertise in poetry was unlike any teachings I had ever learned under before. She stressed individual experience to strengthen poetry in general, and one of my biggest takeaways from her was that personal experiences are the things that push poetry. Poems thrive when written specific memories, when the poet has written specific memories that they have experienced. They bring both individualized lines, oh my gosh, I can't speak, They bring both individualized lines that help with the beauty of the poem while also connecting the audience through shared events and emotions that are experienced by every person. I feel like far too often the human race in general uh, forgets that we are not as lonesome as we make it out to be and poetry is a tool that connects us through events and emotions that we feel separate us from others. Um, and that's why using your experiences, uh, in writing is so important, using specific experiences, because, uh, that's how you make true connections with readers is by, you know, letting people know that you've experienced the same thing before and that they don't have to feel lonely in that. Um, but I rambled on too long <laughs> or not even long enough with her amount of awards because we're gonna have to cut through to an ad break real quick and then we'll finish up talking about uh, Ashley Jones because I will have some of her poetry I would really like to read and um, some more takeaways I've learned from her but you are listening to WEGL 91.1 FM you're about to listen to Get Lucky by Daft Punk so stay tuned Hi, you're listening to Saturation Italicized with Lee and me, Lauren. And no, it's just me. <laughs> it's, it's just, just me. Her. It's yeah. that girl. Yeah. Um, the amount of times I've already been clowned on about the Atlantis thing. <laughs> okay. Like, how was I supposed to know? Like, that's something we learn about or like talk about when we're like little. I'm I'm not little anymore. I don't remember things like that. And honestly like it could be real like you don't know but like 90 percent of the ocean isn't explored so that's true thank you thank that's you true. co-host always got my back maybe it is real and mm. and then just have every everyone like, is supposed to think it's not real but it is years from now years from now like the government's gonna come out and be like so atlantis was real this whole time <laughs> and uh i'm gonna expect apologies from everyone that's except for lauren and lee except we knew we knew yeah but uh <laughs> 
Take us back to our poet. Yes, yes. So we're talking about Ashley Jones. Um, she's the poet laureate of Alabama. Uh, we talked about her numerous awards, talking about uh, where she teaches, which is UAB in the um, Alabama School of Fine Arts. And I was talking about uh, what it was like learning under her and learning a specific writing uh concepts and techniques to strengthen poetry in specific as she is uh mostly a poet I'm sure she does fiction and nonfiction on on the side but uh she's known mostly for her poetry and uh kind of what I was talking about was that what I learned from her one of my biggest takeaways was that using your personal experiences in writing is so important and that's one of I think the biggest uh like pieces of advice I still currently use to this day about my poetry is uh if I make a generalized poem, it's not going to hit as hard as me saying this is a thing that happened and this was my reaction to it because, you know, everyone can say like, oh, I, I was sad one time and, and that was bad and someone broke up with me and that was bad. But if you speak in generalized terms like that, then a poem's not going to connect or resonate with people the same way it would by saying like, you know, someone, my ex picked up his keys and slammed the door and walked out and, and you know, so on and so forth or, or whatever. I don't, that's never happened. Um, But you know, using personal experiences is very important in poetry, and she's uh, someone that stresses that a lot, and you, you'll see that in her poetry a lot uh, when I read it later. Another lesson that I really took to heart from her was her emphasis on creating safe and creative spaces in the South for marginalized children. Um, as artists, especially marginalized artists such as queer or black or disabled or people of color are often told that they can't thrive in the arts or just as people in general, while they exist in the South. Um, and I think that's a gross, gross stereotype. The amount of uh, art, whether it be like uh, visual art, poetry, theater, music, especially like uh, what's created in the South is so varied. It's so unique. Um, so true. And, and people just don't like people sleep on it northern people sleep on it they think yeah. oh well people in the south are they're dumb and they don't appreciate art and but it's it's wildly not true and i think that's something i've taken really to heart this year is that it's important to sh to showcase your work when you're in the south as an artist to show like hey we are a force to be reckoned mm -hmm. with we have true. very talented people and that's something i really appreciated about miss jones was her uh instilling those values in me um she specifically is someone I look to as pioneering and creating a more accepting space for marginalized creatives in the South. Because if if all of the creative, if all the marginalized people in um, Southern states just uproot and leave their communities, which, you know, is totally your right to do if you, you know, feel unsafe or unhappy. But if you do do that and you just say, I hate the South, I'm never going to go back there, like, it's not for me, then how it, how are you creating a better future for the next generation of artists or the next generation of um, any oppressed group? And um, she was really the person who taught me that um, because growing up in high school, I was like, I'm getting out of here, you know, like I hate Alabama, like it's not for me, but there's just such a culture and a beauty here that people just don't understand and it's very important to instill that for the next generation um but I'll st I'll stop ranting and ranting um no but it's good to be ranted about because there yeah, is cause like people don't talk about it enough yeah they don't I feel like I have had a new discovery of being thankful for the creative group mm. specifically at Auburn yeah and you have to like you said you have to showcase and you have to put the work to make those mm -hmm. to make that space known and available it's a, a, sp a specific responsibility I think for southern creatives that 
you know, no one can make you do this, but if you are a creative person, like, you should show the people around you that, like, we do value those things here Mm -hmm. and that um, Alabama, Mississippi, Tennessee, like, yes, they're, you know, notoriously impoverished and notoriously miseducated, but that is not the fault of the residents here. It's a fault of, you know, higher-ups who aren't respecting uh, people down here and there you know there's a whole history behind that we like I, I won't even get to we're not a history podcast but um <laughs> back to back to the task at hand I wanted to highlight that Ashley Jones is not just a writer or a poet she's so much more than that but specifically she was Alabama's first ba- first black female poet laureate and and actually she was literally Alabama's first black poet laureate period so I cannot stress just how big of an achievement that is how she will go down in history and for the things she has done for this state um I could not be more thankful more honored that I got to work under her for so long um and I actually contacted her before this episode and asked her about which poems she thought best encapsulated her work as a whole um and so I will be reading those here today she suggested first her poem photosynthesis When I was young, my father taught us how dirt made way for food, how to turn over soil so it would hold a seed, an infant bud, how the dark could nurse it until it broke its green arms out to touch the sun. In every backyard we've ever had, he made a little garden plot with room for heirloom tomatoes, corn, carrots, peppers, jalapeno, bell, and poblano, okra, eggplants, lemons, collards, broccoli, pole beans, watermelon, squash, trees filled with fruits and nuts, Brussels sprouts, herbs, basil, mint, parsley, rosemary, onions, sweet potatoes, cucumber, cantaloupe, cabbage, oranges, Swiss chard, and peaches, sunflowers tall and straight-backed as soldiers, lantana, amaryllis, echinsia, pansies, and roses, and bushes bubbling with hydrangeas, every plant with its purpose, flowers to bring worms and wasps, even their work matters here. This is the work we have always known, pulling food and flowers from a pile of earth. The difference now, my father is not a slave, not a sharecropper. This land is his, and so is this garden. So is this work. The difference is that he owns this labor, the work of his own hands for his own belly, for his own children's bellies. We eat because he works. This is the legacy of his grandmother, my great-granny, Ollie Mae Harris, and her untouchable flower garden. Just like her hats, her flower beds sprouted something special, plants and colors the neighbors could only dream of. He was young when he learned that this beauty is built on work. The cows and the factories in their stomachs, the fertilizer they spewed out, the stink that bought such fragrance. What you call waste, I call power. What you call work, I make beautiful again. In his garden, even problems become energy, beauty. My father has ended many work days in the backyard, worries of the firehouse dropping like grain, my father wrist deep in soil. I am convinced the earth speaks back to him as he feeds it. It is a com- conversational labor, gardening. The seeds tell him what they will be. The soil tells seeds how to grow. My father speaks sun and water into the earth. We hear him, each harvest, his heartbeat sweet like fruit. And I will let our listeners and I will let you, Lauren, ponder on that for a second um, as we decide how we want to go about dissecting this poem, this beautiful piece of art, um, because we're going to go to ad break real quick. This is 3005 by Childish Gambino. And we're back. So, Lauren, what did you think about uh, 
Miss Jones's poem photosynthesis. Ashley Jones's poem. So off the bat, within the first stanza, when she was listing off all the different foods, mm-hmm. that automatically made me think of Langston Hughes' Harlem Sweeties, because I read that in class last week, and he had a lot of comparisons to food, and so that made me think of that. But it just... I just, you like read it and it just rolls off the tongue mm-hmm. so nice. The whole poem, it just flows. When when poetry is like like a auditory experience and it works really well, mm-hmm. like that's a huge feat in poetry that I don't think is talked about enough. Because it's written beautifully, but also lyrically. It's right. Beautiful. It's has a nice rhythm, rhythm mm-hmm. to it. Um, and I really liked the line, sunflowers tall and straight back to soldiers. That's one of my favorites too, yeah. gives you such a good visual. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she... Like, she talks about the food, and then she talks about her family, and I think she just segues from subject to subject really beautifully, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, we're at the end, and I feel like I heard so, so much. It's, like, like moving. It's, like, yeah, an experience to yeah, read it, her yes, poetry. definitely yeah. an experience. And uh, the uh, her ability to use lists specifically in that poem yes. is incredible. Like, pulling out individual... Because, you know, she could have just been, like, he plants fruits, and he plants vegetables, mm-hmm. but by No, going, she listed them out. Yes, line by line. It's, mm-hmm. like... There's something literally beautiful about those words. Like, outside of them being in a poem, like, just, like, thinking, like, there's so many various kinds. Like, the way they sound on Mm -hmm. your tongue, the way they look written in a poem. Um, Just, come like, thinking about all of these things and putting it into her work was stunning. Stunning. And another reason it made me um, think of the Langston Hughes poem is because in that one, he uses certain words that I don't know what it is. And, Mm -hmm. it like, he has highbrow and lowbrow diction. And I feel Mm -hmm. like she has this in her work too like she yeah. names some flowers where i'm like i've never heard of that before mm-hmm. in my life and you have to go google it like you would the langston hughes mm-hmm. one so no i i, I like it a lot a good combination of uh conversational tone mm-hmm. but also like higher form yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah for sure all right. around i think um that's one of her most famous pieces obvious like yeah. understandably yeah no kidding um but she also suggested that we read a newer poem of hers um which i'm super excited about uh because i hadn't seen this one before so this is what it really is coastline broke into forest into village seas rolled in uninterrupted waves somewhere i insisted on being born somewhere countless tribes called each other by name Somewhere, a black panther inches ever closer to its prey. Somewhere, the sun is a halo. Cameroon is a whisper in my blood. The ancestry kit tells me as it uses DNA to glue me back together. Can it catch long strands of lineage, lineage shucked and punched to pulp? Somewhere, a clot rubs its rigid way into my veins. It calls itself America. And the seas were parted with my body over and over. Centuries are cut into the skin stretched across my womb. Will every lifted voice be silenced? When does a theory become a threat? I return to the coastline. Village. Bright arc. Halo of sun. All this been bloodied. Even my body. A wound. Infinitely. Earth spins on an unfair axis. Streets curdle. Again. Blood. Oh, come back, coastline. Come back, unshipped sea. Remember the way my people were robbed of bone and breath? You called it liberty. Dang, that was powerful. That's a that's a mic drop poem. That was a mic drop poem. She, 
like I said, uh, or maybe I, I might have accidentally skipped over this when I was talking about her work, but she writes um, very heavily about her experience as a black woman, a black woman in the South, her history, um, and just her lines are just gut-wrenching and, and so just the way she chooses to describe things and the pain isn't beautiful, it's painful, but the lines are beautiful. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, for sure. It's just, she's literally incredible. And that's one of her newer pieces. Um, I don't think it's published in a book yet. Also, she has a bunch of books y'all should check out. Um, My favorite is Dark Thing. She also has another book called Magic City Gospel. Uh, But but yeah, I don't think that one's published yet. Um, Do you have a favorite line? Um... Honestly, I really like the last one. Like oh, the way yeah. she just the gut way it line. Yeah, it was a gut punch. And I like the way she uses a lot of enjambment. Mm-hmm. If our listeners don't know what that is, it's where the poet breaks up a line and continues it on the next line. So she does that and starts it on like a new stanza. Mm-hmm. Um, and she uses a lot of punctuation, which I really like. Like yeah. she uses several s- periods in one line. Um, I think it creates a like very like stop and go kind of like uh rhythm Mm -hmm. in her poetry that works very well specifically for this one um i think my favorite line was uh when does a theory become a threat yeah that's so incredible i am all for a question in poetry all for it you know rhetorical question love it um and incredibly it's just incredibly beautiful how she can talk about her own personal experience while also talking about um the history of black mm-hmm. people in America in general. Right. Um, and the way it has, the way it, I, like, I don't even know what to say. It's just her lines are just utterly beautiful. Like she, I'm so glad that she is going to be a poet that is going to be remembered forever because mm-hmm. her work is unlike anything I've ever yeah. read before. And yeah, it's I so, agree. so incredible. I don't even feel like <laughs> worthy of speaking about it because I'm just in awe when I read it. I, yeah. I can't fathom like being able to create these things. No, this is good. I'm glad we have this written down on our little Google Docs so I can go back and read it. Cause yeah, it so I, uh, good. I have her book, Dark Thing, if you would like to borrow it. It's yeah, I think I would. <laughs> it's so good. Also, uh, if anyone is interested in hearing her read some of her poetry, I do not do it justice, you can actually read her work on her website, ashleymjonespoetry.com. Um, I urge you to all go buy her books. I urge you to go listen to her, read them, and just check out her website. You'll learn a bunch of crazy, cool things about her and um, her uh, process and journey as a writer. So, um, Love it. Yeah, super, super, like, just incredibly humbled and blessed that I got to, like, learn specifically poetry under her. When I write now, I just, I think back to so many of the pieces of advice she gave me, and it it will change my life forever, like, forever. That's so nice. (laughs) Poetry has that effect on people. It does. Well, Lauren, I've rambled enough. What do you have for us? Okay, so we're going to talk about Mario Kart. Woo! (laughs) (laughs) And our two two guests, if they want to uh, put their headphones on, this would be the time. We got y'all's mics on. We have... Um, future DJ of Weagle, his show will start next week right after ours, Silly Willy Tune Time. It's going on Silly 10 p.m. On, Tuesday. <laughs> on Tuesdays. Uh, will, say hi to the listeners. Hello, hello. Oh, let me turn you up, buddy. Oh, wait, hold up. Listeners cannot hear you. Now listeners can hear you. 
Uh, hi. <laughs> Good to talk to you guys or talk to myself. Would you like to plug your show a bit? Yes. Uh, Silly Willie's Toon Time uh, will be on after this show every Tuesday starting next Tuesday, 10 to 11. If y'all have ever heard me talk about my most uh, like diligent um, and reliable listener, Will, this is him. This is he's he's starting the show. He's been him. a Weagle fan for a while now. I've been a Weagle fan. I've been a Saturation Italicized fan, and I am a uh, self-described Mario Kart expert. So <laughs> I decided to join him for this one. Now we have another guest here today too. Would you care to introduce yourself? Of course. I was scared y'all forgot about me over oh, here in the corner. Never. But um, I am Allison. I'm just uh, a STEM student who uh, is not worthy of being on this design podcast. Oh, but <laughs> here I am, anyways. No, you're you're more than worthy. You got good taste. You know, you got the eye for pretty things. There you go. I have a good taste in roommates. Great Lee taste is in my roommates. roommate as well. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Um, all right. So, you know, actually, no, we just introduced y'all, but it's time for an ad break. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I just realized it's 45. Um, we'll be back with some talk on Mario Kart. It's uh, just going to be us talking about our favorite maps that are pretty because um, <laughs> that's what related to design. Sure. Um, all right. You're listening to Saturation Tile Size. Uh, we will be playing Shut Up, Kiss Me by Angel Olsen. All right, we're back. We're back with some Mario Cardio. Yeah, we have some more stuff about Mario Kart and then a game. Um, special game this week. Special game. So I think we're all Mario Kart enthusiasts here. Um, and we could just spend hours sitting in front of the TV playing <laughs> on these courses. Um, but we're going to talk about one of the most beautiful games Lee has ever seen, Mario yes. Kart 8. <laughs> and uh, any of these people here can tell you, like, I cannot get on Mario Kart without, like, sitting for a good, like, five minutes and just being like, guys, like, this game is beautiful. Like, this is just the prettiest thing I've ever seen before. Like, I genuinely, like, I'm not joking when I think that game is stunning. Stunning. They just have, it's, it's so good. I think the Wii one was really good, but I think yeah. the one on the Switch, which I guess is the 8, mm-hmm. is even better. Um, but it has a lot going on. Yeah. A lot of art elements going mm-hmm. all around. But it has a good job of keeping you focused on what you're supposed to be focused on. Yeah. In terms of like hierarchy. Yeah, I agree. Design that's stuff. like something I noticed too is like I can't comprehend how they could make a game that's like so busy and quick and has so much going on, but it's still legible and it's still mm-hmm. pleasing to the eye. Like I with some courses I think you can get a bit overwhelmed sometimes. Yeah. But like some of them are genuinely just like you are in a you're transported to another world and you're just driving and having a good time looking at pretty scenery around you. True. So the question we have for our guests are what are your favorite courses? William. You want me to start? Okay. Um that's Give- good because then I won't it won't seem like I'm copying anybody. <laughs> um I think from like a visual standpoint, it's got to be uh, Maple Treeway. Which oh, was that's so such a good one. On the so Wii, um, I think as far as like the soundtrack and maybe like as a concept, I guess I think Coconut Mall is also a classic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm definitely a big Mario Kart uh, Wii person, and I like that both those maps have been brought back in Eight Deluxe. And I also like Agreed. how Eight Deluxe, Eight and Eight Deluxe were the first to um, use like live orchestras for the soundtrack, which I think adds a lot to it because it's like. I feel like music is, at least to me, one of the most, uh, like, integral parts to playing Mario Kart. And there's just so many songs that are memorable from it. So those are my picks. Good pick, good pick. Yeah, good ones. 
Well, now I'm the copycat, Will. Were you going to say Maple Tree Wig? Definitely. That's like my all-time favorite one. Just I love the the look of the little cat, caterpillars that mm-hmm. you have to like dodge. Yeah. They're so silly looking. And I love them. <laughs> but y'all are talking about um, like, you know, Mario Kart does a good job at like making sure it's legible. I think like that's the word y'all use. Mm-hmm. Let me tell y'all what track does not do a good job of that. <laughs> and that's Electrodome. So it's the one that it's like this like really pretty like lavender purple but then there's also like parts of the track that are like green and red that will like slow you down or speed you up and then I don't know how to describe it but it's like the tracks kind of like but turn in on each other where you could like mm-hmm. to the left of you they like change in, the axis yes yes thank you <laughs> I was struggling there for a second and I mean I feel like I'm just like tripping watching that and like I just do not enjoy that track I always lose um that's something I put in the research of this is this is the first version of Mario Kart where you can like the access alter the access alters itself um so that was a definitely a huge task that I think the designers were given like hey can you like change the orientation of the map without it feeling like these people are gonna throw up trying to like (laughs) look at this thing so another just another huge accomplishment by Mario Kart Mm. Lauren what's your favorite I feel like copiers because my <laughs> I do like the two that were already mentioned, but I do like the Sunshine Airport. Mm. You do okay. Actually, anytime we play, you're like, we should do Sunshine Airport. It's so cute. <laughs> See, that's so funny to me because when I think of like fun universes to go into in Mario Kart, I do not think of the airport. Okay, that's fair, <laughs> and I don't know why. I'm looking at a picture right now, looking at all of them, and none of them are speaking to me quite like the Sunshine Airport. But I also like the Excite Bike Arena. Because you I can, love that one. With all the hills, because you can do so. Power up after power. Yes, you can go so fast. Lee, we have a... We have a I, I don't have my glasses on. What is Moo that? Moo Moo Meadows. <laughs> we have a, another a guest. Classic. Yeah, Moo Moo Meadows is good. Yeah, I, we got the station manager up in here. Yeah. <laughs> the one, uh, the version on the Switch of Moo Moo Meadows is pretty, so it's pretty good. Fun. That one's just precious. Like, literally precious. Some Mario Kart yeah, ones are is. just, like, very, like, cute. Mm, Which one is your favorite? Tell us your favorite and we're getting to the game. Oh my gosh. The newest Rainbow Road edition that was released with the newest Mm. set of maps. Oh my gosh. It is beautiful. It looks like you're literally in like a solar system and it's this like, uh, like, does opaque mean see, partially see through? Yes. Okay. It's like this opaque like road like that shimmering rainbow road under you and then you think you're gonna fall off and then you're like on a moon or something and there's like alien spaceships and craters and oh it's so pretty when I was driving on that one the first time I was like like I couldn't I was just stunned I was like I can't keep up with this because I have to see every single detail on a frame right now yeah um so that's my favorite those are all such good picks though don't look at the questions. I know. Okay. I'm trying. I was scrolling down to make okay. sure we got to everything. So I have four questions for our Mario Kart trivia. Mm. Okay. So question number one: Which character squirts ink at the players? <laughs> Is the it squid? A oh. Binky, B Blooper, or C Sharpie? A, for sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm locking an A. Okay. Blooper. I want to be different. Okay. I want to go blooper. Those are your final answers? Yeah. It's blooper. <gasps> what? I'm a bigger Mario Kart oh. fan. I do. I did feel like these questions, my initial, like I took a quiz online and answered them. <laughs> I got four out of ten right. So I felt like the questions that I that I chose for this were going to trip you up. A Dang. lot of this has to be like lore and stuff. Like Mario Kart's so old. Oh, yeah. Mario Kart <laughs> yeah. lore. Like, what, like over, it's got to be over 30 years now maybe since the first yeah, one. Yeah, it's Super old. old. 
Wow. Okay, question number two. Bowser is known as the king of what? A, Shy Guys, B, Yoshi's, or C, Koopas? Koopas. C. Yo, I didn't know he was a king. Um, <laughs> I didn't either until I took the test. There is no bigger do king whatever than Bowser. A was. Well, Shy Guys? Yes. Okay, so everyone here is correct except for Allison. <laughs> it was Koopas. Fair. Allison, you should know that because in the Dry Bowser, uh, in the Dry Bowser racetrack on Mario Kart 8, the one I like playing so much, there's a bunch of dead Koop or like dry Koopas rocking around, walking around like the skeleton Koopas. Bro, what is a Koopa? You only, you only know <laughs> like that Koopa because Troopa? you're a dry Bowser. I'm name. such a dry Bowser player, y'all. You are a dry Bowser. That's why I had to include a browser stat in here. Thank you. Okay, question number three. What is Princess Peach's original name? Mm. Is it A, Princess Plum, B, Princess Toadstool, <laughs> Or C, Princess Rainbow. I think I've heard this before, and I think it's Toadstool. But I might be wrong. Toadstool as well. Okay, I'm going to follow the pack, apparently, so I'm not doing well on my own. Everyone is correct. Oh, let's go. Dang, I really was going to say Princess Rainbow. I I said Plum on the quiz, because that Princess Plum, like, that's, that, that could flows. be Princess It does sound Peach. right. But I'm definitely glad they changed it from Princess Toadstool. <laughs> that is kind of a mouthful. Okay, last but most important question. <laughs> Who is Mario's biggest enemy? Is it A, Wario, B, Waluigi, or C, Bowser? Bowser. Bowser? Yeah, I'm going with that one as well. I'm scared now. Uh, Everyone's right. Okay. Did y'all not, but did y'all not think it was Wario? No. no. <laughs> They're related. It's more, yeah, it's more like a weird cousin type of situation. <laughs> yeah, I, that's just our weird cousin, Wario. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, it's Bowser. Y'all did... Okay, nobody got four out of four, I don't think. Fair. Wait, did I not? Did you, wait, may, uh, maybe you did. I got four out of four. I think you did get I'm the four. biggest Wario car fan. You've, you've been getting practice in, so that, that seems fair. Wait, by just playing the just same races over and over yeah. again? Lee, I challenge you after after the pod. After the pod? We're going against each other. Oh, gosh. Yeah, are you ready to lose? Once turn. again? Mm, she did smoke me before he gave me. What can I say? What can I say? I think a... Will's probably the best player here. Uh, we got studying the blade. Yo, we have a real gamer in our midst right yeah. now. <laughs> Silly Willie. Silly Willie. All the other topics were past my pay grade, but I thought <laughs> to talk about. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up today for Saturation Italicized. Thank you so much to our guests, Will, Allison. Woo. Lovely as always. Um, we will be back next week uh, with some more fun things to talk about. Lauren, you got anything else to say? Nope, just War Damn Eagle. I was going to say, <laughs> we got to say War Damn Eagle. All right, thank y'all so much for tuning in. Y'all have a wonderful week. You've been listening to Saturation Italicized. Thank you for listening. This was Saturation Italicized with your hosts, Lauren and Lee. Tune in next week at 9 p.m. on Tuesdays for more art and design discussion. And follow our Instagram at saturation.italicized. War Eagle.